Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dude. Hey, what's up? Sorry, yeah, I just had to push a button or something. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yeah, I'm just all right. Go again. Hey, hey, hey. Check it's weird. One, two. You're coming out of I know why it is. And in process this, my friends. Uh yeah, I've just got a and again now. Yep, yep, yep. There we go. I had the mic going through the headphones, but the laptop and your sound just coming out the laptop. So, oh yeah, <laughs> it's an absolute total minefield for me. Like I'm so used to doing these in person, and you know, we'll get to talking about it because obviously you do your own podcast as well. But well, first of all, it's it's amazing to finally get you on the show, man. Like we've done a bunch of tours together, bunch of festivals together. And it's always been on the cards, but I mean, maybe you can tell me your thoughts on this. But for me, being on tour is like a double-edged sword when it comes to podcasting. Obviously, people are there, and so the access is there. But I found that, you know, obviously space backstage is fairly minimum, especially on the kind of tours that we've been on together where it's like a multiple band bill. Um, sound obviously isn't great. You've got to lug your gear around you know it might just be a couple of mics but whatever it is so yeah but then the other side and i think the best thing about recording podcasts on tour for me is you get to connect especially if you do it at the start of tour you get to connect with the person that you're touring with 
and break down those you know initial social barriers um and we've never gotten to do that so i'm hoping that in the course of actually our chat today we can properly connect for the first time it's always just been like peripheral hangs but this is great but yeah do you do much podcasting on the road mike um by the way thanks for having me on um <laughs> you know hit the ground running <laughs> i always i always uh have that idea you know you describing that brings back a lot of ideas and a lot of memories and i have the idea to do a lot of podcasting but you're right it is it's hard to find a quiet room a quiet space a private space where people aren't coming in and out of even if it's quiet uh usually you're on sometimes like on, on a tour bus where crew and band is coming in and out and everybody's hey 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 which is fun too you know depending on the style of yeah. podcast you're trying yeah, to yeah. do but but um i think the the idea of podcasting on tour is much better than actually doing it and i agree with you completely like podcasting is great for breaking down those barriers breaking the ice um asking people that you even people you're friends with you know because i do a lot of podcasting with friends of mine that are in bands and you just don't feel comfortable asking them some questions that are all of a sudden kind of okay to do if you're on a podcast, right? Yeah. So yeah, those barriers are great to break down. Um, as far as like the realistic thing you're talking about, just sometimes headspace isn't there for an, for an artist to sit down for an hour when they're on tour, when they maybe are thinking about, you know, the show the night, you know, that night or, or whatever it is. So sometimes it's, I think, it's hard right when tour starts, you know, once you get into a rhythm, um, I feel like, okay, now that's usually when I'll ask somebody, Hey, can, can you do a podcast or whatever? But, um, it's tough, man. It's, it's really hard to do. And obviously you're coming out, you're seeing bands on the road traveling through, are you in London like, or the London area? I left, um, about three months into this whole COVID thing. I was down okay. and, uh, you know, everything was going great. Had like some residencies in London, was DJing every weekend, you know, making a, an all right living. And then it hit and I did a couple of months where I was like scringing and scraping and, you know, just about getting by. And when I realized it was going to be longer than a couple of months, because I think originally everybody thought, oh, this will be over and done with soon. Right. Um, when I realized it was sticking around, I just made the decision to get out um, because I was paying london prices to be there in this city where everything was closed and there was really no point in being in london you know because i can now do what i do which is only this there's no djing at the moment so yeah these, these podcast conversations can now occur anywhere so i'm in birmingham where i originally grew up and where i'm from i've sort of returned i'm actually in my my like old familial um you know childhood home and and that's been its own you know, process, which I'm sure we'll get to, but yeah, I was in London, but, uh, but had to get out. It makes sense though. I mean, everybody's kind of having to adjust, convert, figure out, okay, this is, this is the world right now. So, uh, if, if anything, it's just, it's just part of this crazy life we live, you know, it's, it's always something. It just happens to be this right now. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, what you mentioned about touring as well, before I toured properly, and this is something that I think because, you know, your podcast is super unique and interesting for me because, A, I think you were one of the first musicians to start one. Um, now there's a few more, but you're, you're definitely the first, like, musician podcaster that I've had on my show. There's been people who've been on in the past who now have a podcast, like Matt from the Bronx has started mm -hmm. one in lockdown with Sailor Jerry. 
Um, Chris from Less Than Jake, I know, has one now, but he didn't when when I had him on. But you've been doing yours a fair old while, so you must have been one of the first to start one. And even now, there's still like nowhere near, I don't think, enough musicians doing them. If you look at comedians, right, podcasting is a way of engaging with your fan base all the time. It's a way of promoting what you're up to, so you can almost cut out the press and the middleman. You know, you can like do so many of the business pros you know you can network in a way that's not gross because you can just generally connect with people and you know that might then lead to a future tour whatever it's such a self-serving brilliant thing i think for musicians but so few still do them um but i come at obviously from a perspective more of a journalist point of view but then i've also been on a lot of tours as well so i kind of like can combine those two worlds so my perspective's unique as well but when i hear people on your show you know it's evidently two musicians talking to each other rather than you know even if i have a good conversation and we really connect it's still a slightly different perspective and that's not you know bad or or better it's just different right but yours is very much you know the world so you can connect in that way and i kind of have one foot in both so i can kind of you know try and combine the two but touring is a a tiresome although very fun and rewarding it's an intense environment isn't it and you mentioned the word headspace that's the key thing there it's so hard trying to get normal things done. Like I don't think you could easily carry out a role that you normally do when you're at home on tour, you know, whether that's admin or creative. I mean, do you write on the road? Do you record on the road? Do you do any of sure. the songwriting so, side of things? That's a great question. I, I used to. Um, I think as the world has gotten busier and crazier, I com- I compartmentalize those things better. And, and more than I used to. Um, back when we were touring pretty constantly, we, you know, there would be a, a fall tour, a, you know, a winter tour, spring tour, summer, everything. There was always a tour, right? Yeah. Um, then I would write on tour. I would go into the back of the bus and just, if somebody wasn't playing video games, I'd go back, <laughs> go back there and, and write. And that, you know, anytime nowadays that I need to write, I'm, it's a headspace. Like you were just saying, like I have to get into a routine. So when you're on tour, you get into the routine of being on tour and there are certain things you can do and, and everybody's a little different. Uh, somebody like Chris makes, he's got so much energy, you know, he, he probably gets a million things done every day. <laughs> and, and the thing with Chris is, is he's one of the few guys that's at, cause I DJ all the after parties on a lot of these tours, right. As you've seen, and you know, Chris mm-hmm. is the one guy that is always there at every single after party every night. So the energy just never stops. Like he can be up till the crack of dawn hanging out at the after show. And then the next day he's like, that was awesome. Last night was great. Let's go. You know, and he's never, he's seemingly never tired. I don't know what his secret is. And it definitely isn't anything naughty. <laughs> right No. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the secret is, but um, we're going to find it eventually. <laughs> we're going to get it from him. <laughs> What's your but secret, yeah. Chris? It must, just, part, it must just be enthusiasm, right? It, yeah. I mean, it must be that. It's just, everybody's different. You know, I look at old interviews of myself and I'm like, man, wake up, dude. You're, <laughs> nobody told me to, to, to pay attention and to like be enthusiastic about what I'm talking about. And, and it's just funny how you learn these things over time and, and over just, you know, seeing yourself and, and, but as far as touring and, and the headspace, you know, everybody's a little different. So I just, I just love the podcast part of it. Um, nowadays, 
every now and then, yes, I'll get a podcast on tour where we'll, I'll sit down with uh, somebody we're playing with, or even a band member, you know, one of my band members, I always, I always kind of feel bad asking them like, come on, sit down, let's do this. You know? And they've been on over and over and over, but uh, it's always a new conversation. That's the thing is, 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 you know, you were saying you can connect with people for the first time, but you can rekindle that every time. Like every time you do a podcast with somebody, um, you know, you feel a little bit more comfortable and it's just, it's that much more authentic, I think. So, yeah, man, I've, you know, gotten so much out of doing this show. I mean, I'm about 210 episodes deep as we speak. You're about 350. So you've, you've been going for ages, man, but so many relationships have come out of it and I haven't forced it. And it's never been like in a gross way that I'm chasing it, but it kind of stands to reason, right? That if you do sit down for a length of time with someone, whether you know them before or not, and you, as you say, in this context, you kind of maybe have a bit more of a carte blanche to ask slightly more, not invasive, but, you know, revealing personal questions than you might in a just chit chat conversation because of the confines. Well, not the confines because of the context of what this is. Um, you can kind of fast track relationships sometimes. It's almost like speed dating, um, but in a, you know, a platonic way. Um, I've been going down the rabbit hole with your show uh, in the lead up to this chat and just really, I mean, there's a couple that I want to ask you about in specific detail, but first of all, I'd love to know, Mike, what was the inspiration for starting it? Cause you were one of the first and you must've been going now six years, seven years. Yeah. 2013, I think was when I put my first podcast out and I'd been t thinking about doing it. Everybody thinks about doing it for a while and they're just like, should I, should I, you know, does anybody care? Whatever. And, and that's the thing is, is I was listening to podcasts. I was, I was loving the idea of people, you know, just getting to know people from listening to them. And so my idea was, okay, this is a great way for people that haven't been, you know, people that hadn't been paying attention to what we were doing. Let's get them back into the mix. And at the same time, I can talk to all my friends. I can talk to new people, meet new people. And as a band guy, some people are really outgoing and other band people are a little standoffish. And it's not that they don't want to talk to people. It's just, it's one having that, that idea that, okay, I don't want to waste somebody's time, you know, because <laughs> I've, I know how it feels to have somebody constantly talking to you or whatever. And so like that almost, made me not do it in a way. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to like constantly bother people. But um, once I did it, you know, it was just, it's a freeing feeling, you know, being able to just talk to somebody. Um, maybe it's like, almost like therapy, you know, talk therapy in a way, um, not in a medical way, but just talking to your friends, you know, during the whole pandemic, you know, when people have been locked down, um, if we didn't have something like Zoom or FaceTime or things like this to like, connect with our friends. Can you imagine that? So like, I think the podcast just does that on a underlying scale. Um, and it's not like I thought about that really, uh, when I started the podcast, but it's something that definitely has been a huge, uh, upside it is just connecting to people. Like you said, connecting, that's it. And if there's anybody out there listening, um, like I listen to podcasts and, and I listen to all types of podcasts, but if I listen to a podcast kind of like mine, where it's a conversation, it could go anywhere. It doesn't have to just stay on. We're talking about medical examinations and we're going to stick to this. But um, 
I feel like if anybody, when I listen to the podcast like that, I feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm one of the people in the room just listening. I'm just not able to talk back. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the podcast. Um, trying to forget that the podcast is there uh, in some ways, but uh, it, it gets tough sometimes. I mean, do you ever wonder about, should I be this open with, with my guests, but not only with my guests, should I be this open with the world? Not that the world is listening, but there's a lot of people out there listening. So do you ever think about that, Matt? Yeah, all the time. Well, in fact, no, I used to. And then I made a conscious choice early on that I was just, and it might have been actually what led to the downfall of my previous relationship, I think. But when I started this show, I was in a, I was in a relationship and I remember there was a couple of episodes early on, um, mental health and depression is a, a big subject for me. It's something that is very close to my heart and my home. You know, my mom's bipolar. I've had real struggles over more in the last sort of five, six, seven years than in my earlier life. But it's come to the forefront in my 30s, really. And so when I started this show, I wanted to use my platform to have open discussions about these kind of topics. And I, I definitely sensed early on my ex-partner was like super awkward about me talking about these kind of things on a very, as you say, public platform. It's not that the whole world is checking out my show, but anybody could. And mm -hmm. um, But what I found, man, was that not only do you get more out of the guest if you open yourself, it's not that you're hijacking the conversation, but if you go, look, this is a trust exercise, and if you're going to trust me, then I'm going to tell you some stuff about me too, so it's not a, a one-way street. You get better conversations that way, um, but also the people listening, because this isn't just a self-indulgent conversation between two people. The hope is that anybody out there who can you know, connect or relate to certain topics will feel better about their life and themselves. You know, they, might, they might sound like grand ideas, but I go into my show with those things in mind, and I do feel like if you're open and honest in such a fearless and, and upfront way, then you know, people, that's what people connect and relate to. It's the same thing with music, right? If there's heart there and people can hear it, they can hear authenticity and sincerity. That's going to endear that show, that person, that band to the listener a hell of a lot more than people who are just going through the motions, right? And almost being a bit standoffish. But then not everybody is that open. You just got to be true to you, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you. I mean, that's, that's the thing with podcasting. There's so many different styles of podcasting. Some are very much pre-written, you know, and then you just read your script, which is fine. You know, it's like, that's a style. And uh, like I said, with this kind of podcasting, it's, it's really just about uh, getting your memory jogged a lot of times. Cause I don't like to come into a podcast. Like if I'm doing a podcast, sure. I'll have some, some ideas that I want to ask my guests, but if I'm, if I'm going on a podcast like yours, I don't necessarily want to have like pre stories and like things like that. But when you say something that could jog a memory and then boom, we're off to the races. So like, I love those kind of conversations, you know? Um, and, and like I said, there's so many different styles, but you know, you, you find what you like and you get people that probably listen to every single episode that, you know, of life in the stock. So, I mean, that, that's, that's great. And those are the people, that's the reason why you do the show, of course, aside from personal reasons. Yeah, you mentioned something a moment ago as well, like, and it, that resonated with me. And I think the reason that podcasts work so well, and 
there's an there's a punk rock element to this medium and this format as well because there's no restrictions there's no restraints it's not like commercial radio or print where there's a word limit or you have to go to the ads at a certain point it's so free um it's so diy you can talk about whatever you want with whoever you want and you know i've done everything i've done tv i've done radio i've done magazines i've done online i've worked for all the major companies and done every form of media and as soon as i started doing this particular form i was like this is me because this is who i am and it is about that just deep rooted conversation because for me there is nothing more it's the greatest natural and legal i think high you can get (laughs) i think like a deep profound conversation with someone can bring you out of a hangover or a you know a slump of depression or any kind of like negative emotion you might be carrying the right conversation with the right person, I think, can lift all that. Like, you know, the cloud's just gone and, and it can really change your you know, whole mood and outlook for the entire day and beyond. You must have had that in times in your podcasting journey, right, where the conversations have ran so deep that they've almost changed your life in a way. Oh, yeah, that's happened for sure. And, and you know, I'll be talking to like my manager or something like that and be like, Oh yeah, this podcast, you know, I just talked to so-and-so and they said this and it was like, I can't stop thinking about it. Like that's actually happened fairly recently too on some of the recent podcasts, but yeah, that's, that's the best. I mean, that's, that's why we, why we talk to people to learn, have new ideas, uh, get a different perspective. And I'm classic at not seeing the other angles. You know, if I have an idea about anything really, I'll, I'll, oh, this is a great idea. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's a hot air balloon um, and a throwing knife show at the same time, you know, whatever. I don't know. So <laughs> yeah, but aren't the knives going to pop the balloon? Like I didn't think of that part. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. So. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't I see that? Yeah. Perspective is everything, right? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's, what's great about uh, another great thing since we're making this theme about podcasts, at, at least so far talking to another artist, another songwriter for me is great because it's not that I want to do what they do necessarily, but I want to ask, okay, what's your process? You know, when you're writing a song, what comes first? What, what do you find hardest lyrics or melodies or, you know, instrumentation, you know, all that stuff is because I'm going through it all the time. And I've been through all these different layers of joy and frustration. Right. And so when you find somebody else that has those same experiences, you want to hear, were they the same as mine? Were they different? They're usually some similar. Um, like a lot of people used to write in notebooks and nowadays they're writing on their cell phone, right. And in their Mm -hmm. notes on their phone. And, and I do the same thing, even though like, ah, I wish I could just write it. And, but I edit so much nowadays that if I write it down, I'm constantly scribbling it out. And it's just like these little details. I love to find out about my friends and about, you know, artists that I love. I just had noodles on and he was talking about how they find their guitar tones and they go crazy. I listened to it. I loved it. Oh, right on. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I love hearing like, okay, so you go into the studio with the offspring, you know, they've got Bob rock producing, which he's done a million great albums. And, he just goes through all these guitar tones, goes way too far. And then they pick the best stuff and then they filter out all the craziness, all the stuff that's, ah, we don't need all that. But like in, in the same way they do that is kind of how I write baselines sometimes. Like I'll write too much and I'll just be noodling and then I'll 
pare it down to, okay, what can I actually pull off consistently? And then what's going to sound good for the song and all these questions, you know, get answered as you, as you go. But I just love that. So, I mean, podcasting, I wouldn't necessarily just call up noodles. I mean, we're friends, but I don't talk to them daily uh, and be like, Hey, so what's up with that guitar tone? Like, how do you get that? There's a couple people I could, I could do that too, but overall it's just, you don't have enough time in the day. Well, what you're mentioning there throws back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, when a musician hosts a podcast, you're going to get a different conversation than a journalist, you know, and I, I try and always ask questions that aren't typical. And I try and more like stimulate talking points than actually ask direct questions anyway. But when you get to listen to a guy like you, who's a musician and a songwriter, talk to another musician and songwriter, you're going to get insights that you wouldn't get, you know, from, from hearing that person being interviewed by a magazine or a radio station, because it's a guy who doesn't know about the process. Um, and that's why I absolutely love it and encourage if there's any musicians listening to this, start a podcast like it'll be the best thing you ever do. Um, and there's more people doing it this year because obviously we've had a lot more time on our hands and it's great to see. But I definitely like to see a lot more. Toby Morse has started one. And I mean, his guest list, I don't know if you follow him or see who he gets on his show, but seen, yeah, he's getting like Michael Rappaport and Juliette Lewis and. Yeah, he's right there in LA and all, they all just come by. It's great. That's a great, that's another thing is, is, is sometimes people don't necessarily want to do a video interview, but they'll come by for like an in-person interview. Uh, Cause everybody's different, like I said, but with podcasting uh, going back to that a little bit, the, it's interesting because when you talk to somebody for so long, it breaks down those barriers. It breaks down any kind of facade you know, there's really good actors that could just keep it, you know, keep it going and going and going. But usually, you know, if you if you hear a podcast with a, a, a like a politician, if it's really short sound bites. They sound like they're full of shit. Yep. But if it's a longer conversation, like a podcast, all of a sudden you're like, OK, I, I always hated this person, but they actually sound reasonable. And I can I can understand a little bit why they think this. I still disagree with this point and this point. But like. They, you start to become a human in, in a lot of ways. And maybe that's why more band guys don't do podcasts because you can't keep that facade up. You can't keep that image up. Um, you're going to be silly. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to, and luckily with MXPX, sure, we have an image or whatever, but like we've always been very DIY, very kind of just like, let's go do this ourselves. Let's help out our friend. Let's, but whatever. Uh, you know, so it works. It works for me, <laughs> my Your image. Mom, if you mail orders, right? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, my my mom just does uh, our mail. It doesn't order get catalog. it doesn't get more DIY than that. Yeah, absolutely. And and she'll like we do. Sometimes we'll have lyric sheets in the in the in the store where people can order actual custom sheets for a song that we do, and I'll I'll do it. My mom sends me a text with a screenshot, like, here's the or you know, here's the order you got to do. And so I'll be, all right, I'll get that to you. And I'll, so later today, I'll be dropping off a lyric sheet to my mom at the uh, the merch arsenal, we call it. Amazing. Yeah, yeah you're, pretty you're, insane. You're exactly right, man. And the thing is, is like, I find the most of the gold, unless you hit the ground running, which some podcasts, you know, can do. Um, for instance, your amazing chat with Ben Weasel, who, who we'll get to in a moment. Um, but I find often the gold is about 45 minutes in. You know, if you're going to chat for like an hour to 90 minutes, I always find it stacked towards the back end of that conversation that the real gold is happening. 
because people are relaxed and the conversation's flowing freely. And again, it's it's such a refreshing alternative to this bite-sized, clickbaity world that we're now in. You know, journalism and the media these days, and you'll have seen the change in your career with the advent and rise of the internet and social media. And it's now all about that newsworthy clickbaity headline, isn't it? And just the one quote taken out of context. And these are all the things now which seem to like rise to the surface and occupy people's attention. But there's obviously, as the, you know, the fastest growing medium that podcasting is, there's still this hunger and want for long form conversation without agenda um, you know, without angles and, and it's just about two people connecting and, and because podcasts are so popular now, it goes to show that in this world of rapid information and disposable content, and I hate that word, the, um, the soul is still there, isn't it? People do still want and crave like <laughs> the analog conversation. Yeah. I mean, it, it, podcasts are built for a different audience than maybe top 40 radio uh, playlist podcasts would be, you know, where it's kind of like the MTV style um, show where they used to just, you know, you have a VJ talk, talk, talk interview, half of a video, another half of a video from another artist or whatever. And then back to the conversation, like that's a style, right? And those, those are, are made for mass audiences. They're not made for, to like, maybe they're made to touch people's hearts in in different ways, but um, yeah, with, with, with podcasting, with regular long form conversations, it's, it really is meant for just the individual. Um, everybody connects and it's funny, you know, like a, 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 you know, a podcast like Joe Rogan is huge, you know, and, and he did the huge deal with Spotify and, and everybody thinks, okay, podcast now is, you know, we can make money on podcasting and now that's why we're going to do it. So, I mean, you have all these things and I'm not, I don't do podcasting because I'm a podcaster and I love podcasting. Like it's just literally a cool form of, of connecting with people. Like we've been talking about that word connect a lot, but it it really is in in a way. I think I finally found it because artists are so they, they act very outgoing a lot of times, but if you're a songwriter, you're in your head a lot and you're, you're, you're thinking about, okay, this idea and this idea. And I'm just like sitting there by myself and sure we have this phone that we can connect to other people in the world, but I'll just put that down and just focus on songs. And, you know, as an artist, you're going to be different as a song, I think doing a podcast than, than, uh, than if you're somebody out there, that's just um, looking for whatever the next big thing is to do to get your, your project out there. And, and there's nothing wrong with getting your project out there. Like I, I love to actually bring people on that, that need help uh, bring smaller bands on, bring artists on that, that uh, my, my, my audience definitely doesn't know about, or a few people may, but that's the thing is like, we're all in these bubbles. Right. And, and it's like, how do we get, how do we break out of these, these internet bubbles? And all it is, is I think collaboration, collaboration and just keep going. So like you were talking about uh, it's all about the the headlines and the splash and, and it is in, in a lot of ways, but I feel like consistency um, playing that long game yeah, uh, as a podcaster, like, Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's going to be a lot of work for a lot of years, but it's, it's for a greater 
purpose, I feel like. And and it's not, I'm not just podcasting, just a podcast. Like you said, I'm 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 there to connect with my audience every week. And if there's nothing new that I'm doing, well, at least I can showcase what my guest is doing. Um, there's always something new that I'm doing. I just may not want to talk about it yet. But, <laughs> you know, well, that's you the beauty You guys have been extremely it. prolific over the years. You know, there's always been a record every two to three years since you started. Um, and, you know, I think that's a very, to keep it fresh and exciting um, and, and to con- continue to be inspired. Um is a great thing because I think you can see it when artists aren't, you know, whether it's that they disappear for a bit and you kind of go, okay, like the offspring is a great example, you know, nine years without an album. That's clearly because in that time they weren't inspired and it must be hard to be inspired when you're the fucking offspring because you've had these hits, which are so gigantically huge and you have to then live in the shadow of that, like a pretty fly for a white guy. Right. Whereas yeah, I would love to talk about this whole, this whole in, in a broader way sense, but, um, it takes time. It's like percolating ideas. Um, sometimes you'll have a song idea and you bring it to the band and we play through it and it just doesn't sound like you thought it would. I mean, there's all different reasons why bands don't do albums quicker, don't get inspired as soon. A lot of it, I would say Offspring were on tour probably a lot doing festivals. Every summer they go to the Europe, do festivals over there. They're doing North America, probably doing South America too. Um, let's pretend that the pandemic doesn't exist, but uh, that's one thing. I mean, you probably remember noodles actually said he doesn't, they don't really, they don't record on tour. They don't really write on tour. They just tour when they're touring, they're drinking beer. They're having a good time. They're, they're focusing on the task at hand. Um, And I think this, a lot of people are like that. So touring is one big chunk. It's like, okay, touring takes away from, a new album. Um, not everybody's like Laura Jane Grace. She's she is prolific and probably writes constantly, like every day, even on tour. But not everybody's like that. And I'm sure she would even say that there's plenty that she's not getting done. But uh yeah, so so there's the touring thing, the ideas, and even just being ready. Like if you if you write a bunch of songs, chances are you're gonna want to take a break from that style. Like I'm just, it's almost like you need your ideas to fill back up in your head. And it's a weird, the creative well, right. That's why they call it that. Yeah, kind of. And and it's not writer's block at all. I think it's just, man, right now, every riff I write is the exact same riff and it's Mm -hmm. annoying to me as a songwriter. That's what happens. Like things like that, or I keep writing about the same the same kind of thing. I can only think of these five words (laughs) and I just rearrange them in different ways. Like that, that to me says, I just need to chill and do other things, you know? And it's usually when it's like when we're rehearsing for our our live on the internet shows we do for MXPX, we're relearning old songs that sometimes we've never played live. Uh, Most times we haven't played in a long time. If we had played it live, like all these different things. And so I got to go back relearn bass lines, relearn lyrics, uh, print out all the lyrics, type out all the lyrics, figure out a set list, all these things that go into doing a set that's different from your normal kind of greatest hit style set that a lot of people do. We know all those songs in our sleep and all, you know, all the, the favorites, but that must yeah, be so- as a quick side note. One of the one of the few nice things about the pandemic is the live stream shows. I guess you get to dust off material, which you wouldn't probably traditionally play out on tour. 
And it, does it free you in that sense to be a little bit more experimental with the shows and the set list? Yeah. So, I mean, our show, we call it between this world and the next because it's kind it's a show. It's a live band playing a show, but it's not at a venue. It's in our, in our rehearsal space. So it looks, it looks a little different, more intimate. And then because we're doing B-sides, deep cuts, um, some covers now and again that we've never done, things like that, it really is freeing to answer your question. And it's also been a challenge. It's been a really cool, uh, something to focus on. It really, it made the, the pandemic, you know, last year go by really fast because we were on this sort of schedule where it was two or three weeks between live shows. And we had that next set list. It was a completely new set list. We maybe did one or two songs again. You know, we always do let's write at the end. We do, we have a new song out April 16th, uh, called can't keep waiting that we actually started playing live on on the internet without it being out or recorded so like eh, if were, if somebody boots leg bootlegs it whatever well, i'll just write another song but so that's finally that's coming a great out. attitude man i love that attitude. <laughs> just do another one yeah just do another one i mean that it, i'm we as artists i mean i'm gonna say we because most artists are very precious about the songs they write about the the art they create whatever it is they create and I've been guilty of that w with my songs. And at the end of the day, it's a punk song. It's not, it, it, it's, it's better if people hear it and that's it. That's all that matters really. But um, so yeah, can't keep waiting. That, that was fun. So between this world and the next and doing, doing all these deep cuts has, has been a challenge that's really been great mentally to the whole band comes together and we're like, oh yeah, we need more work on this. And we'll just go through those you know, group of songs that we're really bad at. We're just like, this is going to be painful. And, and if we're not, we don't quite have a song by the time show, you know, the show hits, we'll just switch that out with one we know better. Um, but that's part of the joy of it is like fans that have seen some of the, you know, a bunch of the shows, some fans see every show. Uh, they get it. They, they're wondering, okay, what's coming next. And then they're also want, realizing that Every now and then something gets screwed up or could get screwed up because it is live. We're not, we're not recording and then airing it uh, live or, you know, live or whatever in quotations um, it's all live. And, and that's the thing is because we have our own studio here, we have the ability to leave everything kind of set. And it, you know, what's funny about that too, is people don't realize this. If you, if you set up a recording, a studio, whatever it is, and you leave it for a day or two, you leave it for a week, a month, what, whatever the time is, the more time that passes, the usually the more different it's going to sound and things change electronically. And you would think, oh, if you just leave it, no one touched it, it should sound exactly the same, but you'll come back to ghosts in the machine, isn't it? Ghosts. There's always ghosts in the machine. So it's, I know that's a little bit of a tangent, but no, it's no. a very true thing that happens. So like when bands sound check for a show during the day at a club, whatever venue, that's why they sound check again really quick before they go on. Like you'll hear, do, do, can I get kicked? Do, do, do snare, pop, pop, pop. Cause a lot of times you'll have a, a microphone line that's gone dead in between, you know, just four hours, five hours when you did that sound check, you're like, it worked. It sounded great for sound check. What happened? <laughs> yeah, these so. inexplainable things, man. And that's kind of right there, the beauty of all of this. Uh, I find it inexplainable, uh, you know, because if everybody knew how to recreate 
that one hit that they had all those years ago, right? If they could just shit mm-hmm. out hits all the time, if it was that easy, if it was that scientific, everybody would be successful. Every album would be full of hits, right? But it's not. You can't really distill what it is that makes a song popular or where the inspiration comes from or any of these things, right? It's eternally just the the chasing and the, the trying to capture and bottle what I do believe to be magic, I believe personally. Yeah that muse thing they talk about the muse whatever that is for you yeah i mean i don't know what it is i i i i almost don't want to know in a way you know because i feel the same way when i come up with lyrics that i'm proud of lyrics a song that i i'm happy with wow that's like how did i come up with that and i've even filmed myself writing uh there's a song called small town uh what is it called uh uptown streets uh from from our last full length and i filmed part of part of that writing session where i came up with with like the chorus and and i was just trying to like see if there's a spark that happens like what happens when you write a song and you're like okay but no it doesn't look like anything it's just you just start playing this thing and then it morphs into like the idea rarely do i come up with the exact hook you know um hooks usually change for me you know once we put the full band on it or once i get it into another song i'll tweak tweak you know how a chorus would go you know like i'll usually write a verse and you know what's funny is is the verses i usually write stick like the first verse the melody however that song goes that usually sticks so whatever it is about verses i'm i'm good at writing those but the choruses i'll almost almost always write one two or three choruses and by the time i'm like okay that's the chorus and then the next day or you know that night i'm like ah, that's not the chorus you know there's <laughs> something you know that happens so it, that that muse that spark that happens is a very real thing but i cannot explain it i have no idea no idea how, how you know where it comes from but it, it's one of those things that is kind of a headspace thing again um putting yourself in that position and maybe that's why what offspring you know those offspring guys are waiting for when they wait nine years to make a record is they're they're tweaking those choruses right they're like ah that's not quite right (laughs) i mean i'm sure they do that you know because i do that there's also i think two kinds of bands right there's i think bands that are just constantly forcing the creativity out because of that work approach and that's not to say that it's bad or any lesser quality. It's just they just have to keep delivering because that's the way they're inbuilt. Obviously, if you have a bit of success, it allows a bit more freedom. But there are those other bands, I think, that just like Feldy is another great example with Goldfinger, right? They'll go out and yeah. play all the time. But there was, I think, about an eight or nine period between records with them. And I think it's just like when the moment's right, then it will happen but you can't force it. You know, there's bands that do, and I don't know whether force is the right word, but does that make sense? There's like the blue yeah. collar, let's keep this thing rolling, let's keep consistent. And then there are the other bands that just kind of like, well, when it feels like we need to get in a studio, then and only then will we do it. Yeah, with Goldfinger, it was uh, it was a spark, a big spark that turned into a flame. And, you know, our, our management, same management for MXPX, he was like, I think it's time to do a record. And Feldy's like, boom and literally wrote a record in less than a month uh what was going on situationally that do you think like started that fire um because it had to be something right a combination of things 
Well, the, probably the, the pandemic was part of it. Um, we had a bunch of shows booked. Um, I'm sure we were coming back to the UK, you know, and, and then of course that all went away. And so we started doing uh, the quarantine sessions, which was us playing you so know, a lot of Goldfinger songs on video in, in our respective places. Where and was that, Charlie? That, he looked like he was in a studio. Was he just in like his his local space? Because he always looked like he was on like a proper set. You guys were he, clearly at home, but I was like, where's Charlie going to be next? <laughs> yeah, Charlie actually went to a studio. Yeah, where he went to where we were recording the uh, he was recording his parts for for the new Goldfinger. Right on. So, yeah, John Graber and and, and Reese were there with him, the engineers and, and producers. So anyway, but that was fun. But as far as like the spark and how it happened, I think, I think it happened because of those quarantine videos, because that really, really, I don't know. It just, it, it lit a fire under, under the Goldfinger fans, you know, and they started just craving more and more gold, like, Hey, when's the next video? You know, don't stop ever. Eventually, you know, it did stop. Um, and Feldy started working on, on the new album, started writing and, he would send like he sent me like six songs that were they were all fleshed out all the drums were done they weren't quite finished as far as like editing there was a lot of really messed up uh mix scenarios like levels like things were too loud and too quiet but uh it was enough to where i could listen and go over okay i'm gonna write a baseline for this there was a couple songs that had bass lines and i would just write my i would kind of go along with some of it and then re rewrite my own parts so th there was all different sorts of stuff that he would throw but uh it happened so quickly and i was like okay i guess i guess i'm also making a record <laughs> how did that opportunity first come up mike to join the band and was it like was there any hesitation because it's obviously a unique role as somebody who's like the leader of one band to then go and be like a part of, of another band um rather than you know front and center um so what was sure. the how did the invitation come about what was the initial interest i guess that that made you want to do it and then getting into that mix how did you find the you know the initial like first phase of either touring or creating whatever was first sure i find it really interesting well i was it was 2013 um i got a call from feldy and he was like, Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? It had been a long time since we talked, like we knew each other, you know, we, we, we met, uh, way back in, I, I would say 1996 or seven. Um, we met, we opened for the sex pistols. So MXPX wow. Goldfinger. So we will come back to that. Yeah. So that's <laughs> where we met. And, and so he called me up and he's like, Oh, we're going to Australia. I need a bass player. Would you be down Australia? Goldfinger. It was with the tour was with Real Big Fish as well. Real Big Fish, Zebrahead, or do you call all, it Zebrahead? All the, all the homies, all my <laughs> all my other tour mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, all right, all right. You know, so I ended up doing it. You know, at at in 2013, it was before MXPX was was tour, like 2014 was when MXPX sort of like really picked up our touring again. Um, but at that point, we had played like maybe one or two shows a year. For a couple of years and i was doing my band uh i just finished up doing my band tumble down um, we didn't officially break up we just kind of went on hiatus so all these things were sort of like oh, i guess i don't really have much going on um i just started this podcast but uh 
that wasn't really much. So yeah, it, it worked out. We went to Australia. Um, Aaron played guitar as well. Aaron from Real Big Fish, Aaron Barrett played guitar for, for Goldfinger. For the full so. set every night. Full set every night. Wow. And so it was like a little bit of, it was kind of like what MXPX had started doing during those years when Tom and Tom and Yuri couldn't make shows. Super group um, style, punk rock, super, super group style. Yeah. I had friends come out. I had Chris Rowe and Chris from uh, Good Charlotte came out, you know, like, so I was like, I get it. Okay, I'll do it. This will be fun. This will be uh, low stress. Um, I can pay some bills and, and let's see how it goes. So that, that started and every now and then they would call me up and um, I, it was just like a show by show basis, like a sort of like, Oh, let's do New York. And I got to tour with Charlie and Darren uh, in New York and Florida. We did a run where it was all those guys and me on base. So like they're not the original, cause there's been a lot of different guys in the band, but they were sort of the original long form Goldfinger. The classic and, uh, lineup. Yeah, the, the classic. Yeah, you know, it was fun to watch Darren and Charlie go at it in the van. Like <laughs> I was like the little kid in the back seat of the car, and they're like the parents going yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah. And then of course John would show up at the show for sound check and <laughs> and everything. You know their dynamic, and it was it was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll say, but it was very stressful. <laughs> it's a unique pressure cooker of personalities and uh i yep. adore i adore charlie um i want to i want to listen to your podcast episodes with him but when i did a chat with him i just got such a great insight into his mind his life and i didn't know he was going to be rejoining the band for that tour that he did the first one the fireball tour that you guys did mm -hmm. so i'm there the first night i'm watching golfing and i'm like oh shit charlie's back in the band and I spoke to both Charlie and John about, you know, respectively each other. And it was, it was just really cool to see them like healing those old wounds and, you know, reconnecting and, um, yeah, like just putting that past behind and moving forward. Um, it, it's, it's a unique band, isn't it? Yeah. Charlie's been great. Um, Charlie's, you know, he's a unique character. He's very opinionated. He'll yes. walk into the show and be like, all right, where's the sound guy? Where's the light guy? come over here and you're like, let's talk to you, blah, blah, blah. We usually have our own sound guy, but sometimes we don't with Goldfinger actually. Uh, but it's fun and it's interesting to learn how different band people react in the, in their respective situations. Yeah. And even like, I'll spill a little tea, uh, Charlie, especially, but even all the Goldfinger guys, they will shower before the show. Uh, Charlie, especially he'll shower right before we go on stage. And I'm like, wait, what, wait, are you just going to go out there and sweat? And he's like, yeah, but you know, I just got to get, get into it. I'm like, okay, I get that. That's, that's cool. All right. <laughs> but I never like thought of doing that, but now, honestly, like now because of Charlie, if I feel like, you know, you get like nervous sometimes, or like, if you're like going to fly somewhere, like a long flight to Australia or something, you kind of have that nervous energy. I'll take a shower and then i'll head to the you know usually you do take a shower and head to the airport but like i'll even take a shower and and do a show you know that kind of thing it's a reset um, isn't it that's because of charlie it is a reset it is a reset so huh not all his ideas are dumb <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting as well i didn't know that you that you drank because obviously i know you know charlie and john have been sober for forever um and you know i i've been on tours and stuff many times particularly with john and know that it's you know it's a sober operation so i just presumed that that you didn't drink either um and then i listened to a couple of podcasts that you've done and you're talking about having a beer and stuff and i was like oh man we could have had a drink on the tour and stuff but 
Yeah. Is is it? He did like, have some fireball at once. I thought, but did did we? I didn't make the connection. Oh man, with those fireball shots, I tried to erase them. <laughs> Bearing in mind, well, you, Fireball used to sponsor my podcast, and I've done five Fireball tours, so me and Fireball have a very <laughs> yeah. complicated relationship. <laughs> yeah, I bet. like love hate. <laughs> well, it's funny because when when I started with Goldfinger, uh, there was no alcohol in the dressing room. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah, yeah, and so I was like, okay, it's because John's sober, and you know, and then you know, Charlie's sober and, but Darren would have a beer. So me and Darren would like go to the other dressing room and like hang out with the other bands and have a beer. And then after a while, after I got in the band for a while, I was like, I think it's okay. You know, now that I know John, he's like, he's around people that drink all the time. He's around people that smoke cigarettes and weed and whatever it is. He just, he just doesn't do it himself. It's like, okay, I, I think we probably can get away with with putting putting some beer in the fridge or whatever he's not going to freak out and and i think it's just something that you get used to like a certain way oh no alcohol in the dressing room and nobody ever says anything and then all my carrera shows up and now there's beer and whiskey and vodka and tequila and whatever else and you know there's my section of the dressing room over there and then you know the sober section but if if there was an issue like if if john was like hey this really it really freaks me out to see all this alcohol. I just might grab it and start drinking it, you know, then I would be respectful, you know, and say, okay, no problem. I'll, I'll put all that alcohol in my backpack. <laughs> no yeah, it's, worries. It's just about the line, isn't it? And, and uh, as you say, like trust and, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, if it's going to be cool, then yeah. then it, 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 it is cool. It's, it's not about, honestly, it's not about alcohol. I mean, he, he makes a decision. I make a decision and, give or take, I, I don't, we don't need alcohol, but at the same time, I don't think we need, also need to have it in a whole nother room because John's been sober for a long time. I think he's doesn't, Since he was 18, right? Drink. Yeah. He doesn't want a drink at this point. I don't think so, but uh, yeah, everybody's a little different. So it's, a, it's important to feel that line out, figure it out. So it took me a couple of years to do it, but <laughs> what's it like See, now being in the band? Does it feed back into to, to MXPX in any way creatively? Or is that just kind of like almost your holiday job? Like, um, well, no, everything feeds into everything a little bit. I think um, just, just one, the fact that, you know, when I'm on stage with Goldfinger, we'll have MXPX fans in the audience being like, Oh, it's, hey, it's Mike. Hey, hey, hey. you know, they specifically because they're MXPX fans, they want to say hi. And, you know, that happens. I don't know if it's happened as much with the other way around, but, you know, we haven't, but uh, it probably has happened, but uh, it's funny because when, when, when I'm doing Goldfinger shows, it is uh, more relaxing. It is less stressful. Like the, what, what I have to do during the day is much less than what I have to do when MXPX is playing. And it's probably a sense of responsibility. I do realize the irony in that, but um, MXPX, I got more that I have to do. Um, I'm working on stuff during the day. Because, you, know, our sound, you know, we have sound checks for Goldfinger as well, but um, you know, and the longer I'm in the band, I have more responsibility with Goldfinger, but I still don't, feel the stress that I feel with MXPX. I think it's just um, inherent to the fact that I'm the lead guy for MXPX. And so if something doesn't happen, it's, it's all me. 
So like if something doesn't happen with, with Goldfinger, I know that I'm probably, probably going to get paid at the end of the day and don't worry about it. We're good. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely think there's a certain pressure that comes with being the front man in every band, you know, because you are for all intents and purposes, like you're the mouthpiece, you're the focal point. It's kind of eyes mm-hmm. on you. Right. And it's up to yeah. you to be the captain, to set the tone. Uh, you know, it's a shared responsibility, of course, but I do think with every band, um, unless it's maybe like a two piece and it's dueling vocalists or something like that, you know, but I think with, with almost every band, there's kind of like, you know, an added, even if it's only a little bit an added pressure being, being the yeah. face. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, is when John comes in, he gets in, uh, I don't know, like a mindset. He's an he intense dude. In, yeah. He gets, he's intense. <laughs> And I get, I do that right at the end, you know, like right when we're about to go on stage, you know, I'll be breathing, I'll do some push-ups, just get the blood pumping. That's for Goldfinger, you know, just make sure physically I'm really dialed in. But with MXPX, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say that I'm just like John or whatever, but like I have a certain intensity that I dial up and mentally I'm much more in my head and I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about this and, and it's like, that's when I feel good. I mean, that's, that's, I want, I want to, you know, get ramped up and amped up and, and I want to treat this, this show as something that's, you know, I'm putting everything I have into this show. I'm going to go out there. I'm ready. You know, I'm not going to all of a sudden pull a hammy because I've stretched, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, you know, and I, that's what John does. He does most of that in the hotel and, um, and then he'll show up and, and, you know, I've watched a lot of front men do that, front women. Um, Mike Ness is a perfect example. He, social distortion, he, uh, he backstage shadow boxing. He's really into like that old timey look, you know. Yeah, he, <laughs> he never breaks character. Chicago gangster from the prohibition era, that dude. Yes, yes. <laughs> so he gets, he gets amped up, man. He's just like punching in the air, but he, he sees something, you know, he's in his mind, he's, He's doing something more than what you see. Um, and then he goes out there because he's a mellow dude, kind of like me. Um, like I was talking about my early interviews when I was just, hey, guys, how's it going? Like, that's Mike Ness. He's a very mellow guy. Uh, but when he's out there on stage, he is he's in the zone. Um, he doesn't even need a vocal monitor, really. Like, he gets in his own, he, he hears his own head voice is what they call it. Um, if you put earplugs in, you can kind of hear your, your head vibrating. And so, yeah, he, he's like a different person on stage in Alas, a cool way. Yeah. I love him. I've interviewed him a couple of times and I've seen that transformation because I've spoken to him like an hour or two before the show and he is, he's like, Hey man, how's it going? Like some very, softly, yeah. very softly spoken, almost dare I say this almost effeminate. And I know that might sound strange to some people because mm-hmm. he's like the sort of textbook definition of masculinity and macho tough guy stuff. But he's so chill. It's almost like there's a sense. Of, well, there's clearly a sense of soul there because he's an amazing songwriter. But there's a soft side to that guy. And yeah, then he gets on stage and it's like true grit. And it yeah. is. It's it's like a, a total flip. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I haven't interviewed Mike. You know, he's produced. Uh, he produced an MXPX song for us back in the day. And of course, we've seen him on tour. and. Warp tour and stuff. Uh, we've opened for them on, on social D shows, but uh, the one thing I would love to ask him would be, 
was he a Grease fan? Did he watch the movie Grease as a kid? One, because of the style, the 50s greaser style that he's got, hot rods, uh, pinup girls, um, fights, <laughs> fist fights, but also flick, flick blades, all of that stuff. Yeah. Also, Grease is very, it's, it's like a theatrical play in a way where you, know, you have somebody like, uh, who's the, the main guy in Grease? <laughs> Was it uh, Danny? Danny Zuko. Dan- Danny Zuko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's dancing and he's very effeminate in a lot of times and they're singing songs like from theater class, you know, kind of style. And so like there is a fake macho-ness to it, but and there's also like an effeminateness to, to that movie Grease, which I'm a huge fan of as well. So I'm yeah. basically saying the same thing about me. But uh, I wonder if that, that, that had any effect on him. Probably not. You got to ask is, him if you is ever what did. he is. I mean man as a as a as a punk fan punk rock fan that that watched uh another state of mind you know the documentary growing up yeah yeah of social d in the back of the van who is it them uh, and youth brigade who's the other band youth Youth brigade was the other band and you know it was very similar to like how like uh, black flag was touring you know they'd be in the back of this this like box truck you know (laughs) like no windows get in in the van go yeah yeah just get in there go for it you know all these atrocious living situations out on tour um you know when we were on tour it was always there was always something happening you know our our first tour uh the first weekend our van broke down in flagstaff arizona it was actually in the mountains of of colorado and we we kind of like eked our way down into the the Flagstaff area to get it fixed, but it was, it was overheating every 15 minutes. So we'd pull over, pour the water in, wait for it to cool down, go again. It would heat up in about 10 miles, you know, a few miles down the road, 10 minutes later, it'd start heating up and we'd slow down. And it was like a popcorn popper. And we're like, what is going on? And we're just kids at the time. This is 1995, our very first tour. So like, these are the experiences we're having. And we started listening to to you know get in the van uh by henry rollins and i would read the book but we'd listen to it on on uh cd in our van and that all those experiences made our experiences seem like nothing like it was not a big deal like nobody's pulling a knife on us we're in the mountains maybe a a wolf or a coyote might come and attack us (laughs) but yeah i mean that that's the thing is i feel like that kind of helped it helped normalize shitty situations out on tour. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've been chatting to a few of that sort of first wave of punkers over the last few weeks. Um, and sometimes in bands that would go on to be part of other movements, like I was chatting to Sean from White Zombie um, and, and Keith Morris from Circle Jerks and Black Flag and all of those kind of like DIY first wave of punk bands. And they <laughs> kind of without fail, they would all say as bad as it was on the road, being on tour was like a glamorous holiday to them because their home situation was so bad. You know, whether they're in the Lower East Side in New York or they're living in absolute shitholes in, in Hollywood or where or Hermosa Beach, wherever it was, they were, a lot of them would say that actually, however bad tour was, it was almost a welcome break from our shitty apartment back home. That's kind of how rough and bleak punk was to begin with. You know, it wasn't a career for anybody. It wasn't any way of making money or, you know, being successful. It was literally you did it for the love and you just wanted to get out there and play shows, even if you were sleeping in the worst places and playing for three people. And so to have all of that come before you, I guess, um, must have been, as you say, like validation and inspiration. Like, yeah, however bad this seems, they had it worse. Let's get out there and do this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the thing is like we didn't we were very naive, very naive. So uh we we got signed in 1994 after being a band for two years 1992 was when we started and how old were you, you know, when we, you got signed mike i was 17 years old 17 so Wild. i had to have my parents sign for us um didn't get a lawyer should have bad big mistake but you know all those mistakes those business early business mistakes have led us to here you know so it, it's you know you can't really knock it um but yeah i mean we were so naive we thought we thought, yeah, if we just go on tour, this is what we do now. You know, like I wasn't think I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't even thinking career. So I think that's how naive we were is I was thinking about nothing, but I want to do this. I don't care about anything else. I'm not going to plan for the future. I don't ever want to go to college. Uh, I wouldn't know if, first thing about what I would do if I didn't do this, except for back to the dishwashing back to uh landscaping back to all the menial jobs that i did before touring and uh it was only a few years it was while i was in high school but we're so naive that we just assumed that when we go on tour we're just going to continue to do it and that's exactly what happened we continued to do it we started out uh we we started out touring with this band blenderhead it was their tour, but I would say it was a damn near co-headliner because both of our bands weren't that well-known. And I would say we were just becoming a little bit more well-known, but uh, it was their tour. So we went and we played to like 15 people in Beloit, Wisconsin. That was our smallest show, but the shows were actually pretty good. We had like 50 people, 80 people, nine, you know, hundred people at a few shows. And it was back in those days, DIY promoters. So it'd be some kid, some teenage kid or early twenties guys like that partner with their friends, their college buddies to bring out a couple bands. 
and they would just find a venue or pizza shop or whatever it was yeah. like you know community centers churches like the whole not everything and everybody was naive back then right because it was the punk scene it wasn't like you two you know it wasn't like we were in that world um of arenas and and the world you were in was really just formulating wasn't it there'd been no precedent yeah. it was they were making it up on the spot as they went along because there'd been no precursor to it it was all brand new it was and as you yeah. say that the the promoters and the agents and the managers and the record labels they were all basically punk kids as well weren't they they were like well i can't play an instrument but i can start a label so let's do that and let's sign the bands or let's book the bands to play the shows yeah absolutely you know we got signed to tooth and nail records and they were all kid, you know young adults in their 20s or early 20s but to us they seemed like adults because we were kids and like promoters I, I, we always uh had a good relationship with greenland uh or yeah they're called greenland uh up in montreal um they did uh snow jam or snow jam or they did these festivals that we we ended up doing many years ago um the things that were like the precursor to warp tour kind of yeah stuff. Pre, yeah exactly face to face would do it satanic surfers uh yeah you know no use for a name so like it was all that style of music skate punk and, and snowboarding style of music and we had a blast up there and they were we saw them as as our superiors because they were adults and we were kids but still they were probably in their early 20s at the time and and Padge and nancy by the way they're probably not listening but you know shout out to them anybody that's listening that knows them because they they did a lot of cool things for the punk scene in the early years and as warp tour got going i would see them at the warp tours and they would do like co-producing or co-promoting or whatever for that kind of stuff so it was cool to still see them so yeah i mean it, it's funny because like i don't remember most of those people there's been so many of those types of people throughout the career and throughout my life and and you just it it's a blur you know and here we are in 2021 and and things have changed so much since then blood sausage that's what i remember from, from that tour <laughs> we uh do you know what blood sausage is the food the food yeah so we showed up in montreal and uh like this black guy, pudding you're talking about would that be the yeah, same yeah 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 so our driver shows up in this old van and it's like there's no insulation it's just a metal van a work van and we're just in the back and he's driving us around and his his band is called blood sausage uh i can't remember the guy's name but like that stuck in our brain because we we're like what's blood sausage and and of course you know he's telling us all about it and we didn't know anything back in those days you know we had we had been to japan once and we had been to germany once and and canada a few times and so like it was just we're just starting to get out into the world <laughs> and learn learn about foods like we didn't know what thai food was back then we didn't learn about thai food until our life in general album in 1996 so i mean it's just it's just crazy how you can go through life, not know about something that is almost like an, an everyday kind of thing that you should know. Um, I wouldn't say blood sausage is something that travel is the about, key but. to all of it, right? Travel is just the absolute, I think, meaning of life. It broadens your horizons. It shifts your perspective. It deepens your appreciation. It, you know, it teaches you about empathy and understanding and everything. Like I think the more traveled you are, I think ultimately the richer, the richer of mind and heart and soul you are. 
yeah, traveling has changed my life, my perspective, my ideas about life so much and, and for the better. So yeah, I, I strongly agree. I'm on the travel train and it's tiring too. I mean, <laughs> but, but also uh, that, that is also educational. You know, I think like yeah. when you go through struggle and it is a struggle being on tour and all those, you know, hours you put in to get from A to B to play that show. The show's like obviously the greatest thing ever. Every day that show is the highlight of the day. It's all the bullshit that goes into getting there and putting it on that becomes weary, right? You know, whether it's the constant sound checks or as you say, like the late night long drives or the flights, the jet lag, all of that stuff. That's what grinds you down. The shows is what, you know, that's why you do it. That's why you're there. But in all those miles that you cover, that's where, you know, characters are formed, aren't they? in in the quests in the adventures absolutely I, if a perfect example would be uh the first two albums from mxpx are pre-tour and our third album life in general is after tour uh, after our first tour and everything in my opinion everything after life in general life in general and on has a different perspective has a much better sound even even you know if you just break it down to the songwriting and the actual playing of the songs, we just got so much better. You know, we've been we've been ground down not only by the world, by touring, by meeting all these people along the way. Some of which were very rude. <laughs> and and yeah, then they're we, out there in force. They are. They're still out there. Uh, <laughs> fuck them. We don't. We don't need them. Uh, and then you know, having a producer like Steve Kravak on Life in General, he really taught us how to put your ideas onto tape. And, and before that, I'd never really realized, okay, what you convey through this microphone is going to translate onto the tape. And yeah, you can mix things and change things and da, 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 but ultimately the performance is going to be the essence of everything, what people get from the song. And so another reason why I feel like I feel like there's definitely raw emotion on those first albums and people love that those styles and stuff. Nothing wrong with it. I like it too. Sure. Let me but. just quickly say this, Mike, you're being quite hard on yourself because teenage sure. politics, right? If yeah. you listen to say an early no effects record, it's garbage. You know, and they're my favorite punk band. I adore no effects. But if you listen to like liberal animation, that shit's garbage. Whereas, you know, you're 16 years old, right? It's teenage politics when you were 16. Um, by then, I was probably 18. 18. Even yeah. then, those songs, you might not think that they sound that mature and sophisticated, but those songs, structurally and lyrically, from a fucking 18-year-old kid's mind, that's pretty impressive. They hold up. The first record is a little more raw, and there's a naive charm there. But that second album, I think, stands up. Um, and to have been that young and to be crafting songs like that at that age is quite a thing because there's so many other bands that it took them three or four albums to actually get to a point even green day you look at some of their early stuff like i think a lot of bands take a while to find their voice seems like yours was always there i guess i just needed to, to craft it i mean thank you that's really kind um you know for me it's always about iteration you know the more i do something the more i either realize okay this is good let's keep doing it it gets better or I'll realize, okay, I need to change something. And, and I can only figure that out by doing it and by failing. Um, you know, it's a lot, you know, they say when you play a live show, when you go up to perform, or if you're going to like, if you don't perform, if you're just in the audience, 
you know, if you get up on stage, you know, they, you know, they say that uh, if you prefer, Sorry, if you perform. Sorry, Do you live next to a racetrack, by the way? It's just so loud. I have a main. Yeah, it's so loud. I'm right next to the window. It keeps bugging me. Um, it's all good by end, as long as you're cool. <laughs> yeah, you're talking okay. about when people get on stage. You're making an analogy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, when people get on stage, they um, they don't necessarily they don't necessarily do exactly what they think they're doing. You know, it's only when they look at what they've done like on a video or something like oh that and then they can change things they can tweak um and and i think you don't necessarily like what i was my, the point i was trying to make is if i don't look at myself i'll eventually figure it out it's just going to take a lot of those shows a lot of those failing to get there um and, and a lot of people a lot of professionals like comedians and people that do speeches um they'll they'll do these speeches over and over and over so that when they get up there, they're not failing. So they'll do all that work. And the problem is for me, it's like, it's so hard to do the actual show until I'm in that moment. It's like, in you know, if you're in rehearsal. Well, you can rehearse all you want, but yeah, once you're on stage hard. and it's yeah. live, all bets are off. The more you rehearse, the better, because it gets your muscle memory going. So that when you are in those moments and you have all the, like the, the, distraction of the, the cars driving by for me. Like I should be more focused and not let that bother me. So next time I will be better at that. Um, that's all I'm saying is just, it takes me so many times. It takes a lot of people so many times, but probably uh, maybe I'm being hard on myself, but yeah, it, it takes me a lot. So if you see me doing something really good, just know I've uh, practiced a lot to get, get there. And, and most people you see uh, Steve Caballero, a friend of mine that is a pro skater, he is huge on this where he says, people ask me all the time, you know, oh, I wish I had your talent. He's like, it's not talent. I bailing constantly. I'm practicing all the time. I've bro broken both my legs. Like the work is hard and that's what gets me where I am. So everybody, you know, there's no, there's no really easy way to get through things. Um, use tools to, to make your work good. But um, I feel like don't try to cut corners just to cut corners. I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. And the other thing is if you are an overnight sensation and you get like super successful out of nowhere and you haven't paid your dues and put in the groundwork, you might have the opportunity to play to the world in whatever craft it is you do, but you might blow that opportunity because you haven't trained and prepared for it. And there's been many instances of that, I think, perhaps not so much now because you very rarely nowadays get like these overnight sensations. But yeah, I think if you're in the, the opportunity where the spotlights are on, but you haven't done all those years of groundwork and honing the craft, then you're either going to buckle under the pressure or you're not going to live up to the expectation. Um, it's all in the, the prep at 100 percent. I agree with that. Like when I used to work on Kerrang Radio as a kid, like I was 24, my first job in this industry was hosting the evening show on Kerrang, which at that point was on FM and DAB. And it had like a million listeners a week or something mad. And my first gig was like seven till 10 on that. And what I would do is every night after the show, I'd go home, not every night because I'd be out partying some nights, but at least every other night I would go home and listen to the show I'd just done on the website on replay and analyze my links. 
and think, how could I be doing better? What could I change? What could I stop? What could I take out? What could I add? And I would do that week in, week out for the entire three and a half years I worked there, constantly trying to evolve and progress and grow as a presenter. And yeah, as you say, it's like, oh, look at this guy. He's so talented. He's so lucky. It's like, well, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like the harder you work, the luckier you get as the, the old thing yeah. goes. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's true. I mean, straight up. Dude, Very I want to ask you a couple of things before I let you go. Have you got some time? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as we, as we, as we, and I definitely want to do another one of these with you because I feel like we could talk about so much more for hours. And it's been, it's been great as I, I, I knew it would. Uh, Sex Pistols, you opened up for them in 2007. Was that uh, an experience worth recalling? Was it eventful? Was it all four? Was it the original lineup? It was 97, actually. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even better. So they were even more, <laughs> even more in their prime. Yeah, that that was the tour. They they came back and they did a world tour, and they yeah, it was the original lineup and well, not the original lineup, I guess. Um, it was Glenn in the band. Sid Sid wasn't there. Was Glenn um, Matlock on bass? I guess Glenn was there. Yeah, because Glenn was been... the original bassist. He left and oh. then Sid replaced him. So Sid wasn't I... actually on. Never mind That's the bollocks. Funny. He came in after. Which That's is true. funny because everybody thinks of the Sex Pistols and they think of Johnny and Sid, but yeah, so it would have been the um the original Nevermind the Bollocks lineup with Glenn, Paul Cook, Steve Jones, and and Johnny Rotten. That makes sense. Yeah, probably. I, I I assume so. I didn't actually honestly think of that when we were playing with them. We were just like, oh my god, like because we were doing Bumper Shoot and they were playing their show at Bumper Shoot, but it was just their show at. at basically it's like an open air arena and the opening band was goldfinger and then stabbing westward was the support act and then sex pistols well stabbing westward the singer got sick and so they canceled and we got a call that day the day of the show and we're like hey you want to open for the sex pistols <laughs> we're like uh yeah we'll be right over um is, is that up there in one of the top five easy like best phone calls of your life because that has to be like i mean i'm for me number one sex pistols are the greatest punk band of all time because they were just like the catalyst for all of it absolutely uh, that's like yeah. a dream scenario as a phone call gets right for yes a, i mean we singer. we couldn't even believe it but we're like absolutely so we go over and we're opening and goldfinger moves up to the support slot and at the time I played with my fingers, I played bass with my fingers and we're on our last song and everything went fine. People, uh, definitely some of the punks, some of the old school punks didn't like us. They're like throwing stuff. We expected that though. That happened back in those days, a lot more than you could even imagine. Um, people don't realize how nice crowds are these days. Well, we had spitting as the thing in England was people gobbing. Oh yeah. I've been spit on in Europe, in England. Yes. Uh, not like every night, but there's been a few nights where it's like, oh my God, I was going to punch that guy. And then they're like, what? What? We like you. Like, it's a sign of appreciation. <laughs> like, oh, man. They always say that at the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're, get, you're getting all kinds of shit held at you, but it's going over okay. But it's going pretty good. Yeah, it's going good. And we're on the last song, Punk Rock Show. I break a string and I'm like, fuck. Okay, so I start playing just the other strings. There's three more. And so I'm playing the other strings. My other string breaks. So I, my low E breaks. 
and then my A string breaks. So all I have are the high strings, the high ones. And so I had to do like an octave kind of thing and try to figure it out. But it was towards the end of the song at that point. And, uh, and I look over <laughs> and my our roadie, you know, it's just like, uh, you don't have another bass. That's it. You know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but we finished the set. It was fine. And it was chaos. And then we went backstage. Everything was cool. Uh, we watched Goldfinger play and Goldfinger came up and right before they came up, the radio DJ goes, all right, stop throwing all that shit or whatever he says. Right. Don't be throwing any, anything. And so when Goldfinger comes up immediately, everybody just starts pelting them with cans and trash. And John Feldy stops the crowd and goes, hold on, hold on. And uh, he goes, Where's that? Where's that DJ guy? Where's the DJ? Come on out here, motherfucker. The guy walks up. He's still side stage. He walks up and he's like, all right, you told them exactly what not to do. Now, for the next one minute. You guys are all free to throw whatever you want on stage at this guy. And they did it. And the whole fucking crowd just pelts this radio DJ with cans. <laughs> spit beer soda hot dogs it, it was terrible and, and assumedly was... john had him right on the fucking palm of his hands then and the crowd were on board because they were like we like this guy did yeah, it yeah, go yeah. down like that yeah yeah it was great it went over great uh the <laughs> sex pistols were pissed <laughs> they were so mad they uh they were so mad because the stage was just covered in shit and um pretty sure so they were so mad, they, they kicked everybody out of the backstage, including MXPX and Goldfinger. Um, and Goldfinger was on the tour with, with Sex Pistols. So, I mean, they were supposed to be playing like the other shows. Um, so, but Goldfinger was so mad that Darren went into uh, the Sex Pistols dressing room and trashed it because the Sex Pistols hadn't shown up yet. They're at the hotel, they're in a van, they show up at the van, you know, backstage right before they go on stage. Darren goes in and starts trashing the Sex Pistols dressing room. <laughs> and then he's like, fine, all right, let's go. And then they kick everybody and we all leave, but everything's trashed. And the Sex Pistols show up, they're pissed. They kick, you know, they, they uh, kick Goldfinger off the tour and... Darren's like, F you, blah, 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 all this stuff. <laughs> and then in, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, they get a call. All right, you're back on the tour. So they got back on the tour. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but that was, uh, that was when we first, you know, I first met Feldy and, and Darren and, and all the Goldfinger guys. Didn't get to meet Sex Pistols that day, unfortunately. Oh, man. Well, at least you got to play with them. That's few people can say that, and you're never going to forget that first meeting with Feldy, and then to end up in a band with him all these years yeah. later. After that is, I mean, that's just the beautiful nature of this. You know, very complicated and sometimes challenging, but ultimately beautiful and rewarding little industry and and lane that we're in. It's a it's a crazy business, isn't it? The business of show, but I w I wouldn't be anywhere else. For so many years, so many years, the Sex Pistol story was kind of one of the, you know, it was like the only cool thing that happened to us. <laughs> so like if somebody, somebody would ask, so what's the craziest thing that, you know, the coolest thing that's ever happened to you, you know, as a band? And I'd say, oh, 
when we got to open for Sex Pistols. So uh, many, many other cool things have, and crazy things have happened. But but uh, for a long time, that was that was the go to. Um, fun to bring it up again. But. Uh, dude, I, it's, uh, Sex Pistols for me are number one. As I said, I had Johnny on the show a few years back. He was my 10th guest. Episode 10 was with John Lydon. And um, he was amazing. I was terrified going into it. And I very rarely get nervous about interviews because I've just almost at this stage interviewed everybody that I'd want to. But he was kind of one of the last, um, you know, figures in, in my life that I've always been inspired by and wanted to sit down with. And he couldn't mm-hmm. have been sweeter, man. He was he was an absolute, just a true sweetheart and a true gentleman um, and, and, you know, spiky and unpredictable that you'd want, but absolute gold to me. Um, I just want to finish by saying I was going to get into it a bit more, but we'll maybe leave a more in-depth discussion of it for another time. But some of the stuff that you raised with Ben Weasel and with Blag, and I've had Blag on my show and I adore Blag. I've never spoken to Ben, but after hearing your chat with him, I really want to. But those two, um, obviously, you know, they're these kind of like problematic quote unquote figures that a lot of people like to write off and, and say, you know, they're bad guys, whatever. But two of the smartest, most intelligent, articulate, well-spoken, just like super interesting guys that have got so much of value um, and such great insights to shed that they were two two of my favorite podcasts that I've ever heard, man. I just wanted to say great job with them. I know probably they're, you know, good friends of yours and you weren't going in there to like try and, you know, uncover these meaty topics, but boy, boy, did you get there. Amazing conversations. Thank you. Yeah, those guys are great. And that's the thing is like, you can talk to anybody for long enough and they're going to talk about things they love. They're going to, you know, they're going to get into, into who they are. And so, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm a huge fan of Screeching Weasel. Like they were definitely, you know, if I had, you know, the descendants were, were my biggest influence, you know, growing up, but I would say Screeching Weasel could be maybe the second, you know, even above, you know, all the big punk bands like the clash and, and, you know, sex pistols and, you know, things like that, but Ramones, you know, of course I love all those bands, but yeah, the the screeching weasel. um, I grew up listening to that stuff all the time. And I definitely hear, hear that influence in my songwriting and, in in definitely a lot of the, the, the way I put chords together uh, to influence, but I didn't, I didn't, I never knew anything about him. You know, I, I, back in the days, you know, like I didn't know anything about Milo or, or Bill Stevenson from the descendants or, um, you know, Ben Weasel from screeching weasel, like all these guys, like they were mysteries to me. You know, I didn't know I was a fan of the queers too, you know, growing up and we, we love that the band. queers and, and their crowd hated us. <laughs> and, and, uh, but years later, everything's fine. You know, it's like, it's just funny that, that, um, that you can grow up listening to bands, know nothing about them and end up having these conversations where I'm just, I'm just curious to know how they did it. How are they so smart at such a young age? Like somebody like Ben Weasel listening to his lyrics at, you were saying that about my lyrics. I feel like that about Ben Weasel, about, you know, he was talking about how it doesn't matter if you're gay or if you're this or that, like, like he was, he was um, just so open with uh, all those things. Um, well, that's the great irony of why the cancel culture brigade going after them is so absurd, you know, isn't it? It's because people yeah. like him uh, were the first proponents of equality 
and treating everybody with respect no matter what their skin tone or body parts or any of that and then obviously now we're in this world where you put one foot wrong and it's like cancelled and it's like what what about all this good work that i've done for like two decades before you were even born <laughs> yeah 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 no it's funny like we, we've uh mxpx has played with uh screen Tree weasel a couple of times it's the last, the last time i saw you years london, oh, in, Forum. In london. i was at that yeah. show yeah man that's great so we did a show with them in in uh bc canada in vancouver yeah vancouver and um the commodore theater and that show well all the shows we've done with them have been great but that show in particular he got in a big fight with a with an audience member <laughs> and i don't know what it was it had something to do with like women feminine something or other and and he was just like not backing down he was like during the show in their face you know they're in the crowd and they're just talking and he's like yelling and, and he's just like ripping them a new asshole just going off like this and that and that and i'm like that eh, kind of you know makes sense it's like that's an adversarial kind of thing that it's almost like a treat in a way if you can get ben weasel <laughs> ben weasel to yell at you but um that used to happen i think at those shows much more like that was like an almost nightly thing where uh like a black flag show somebody would throw a punch and and the whole band would jump into the mix and henry rollins was in there you know just listening to him, him his writings and stuff like that to, to and then to witness that like i don't know i felt like i'm like okay i'm finally witnessing something in the flesh you know some little You're part piece of, of punk rock history right there exactly yeah. and and yeah it was just one little tiff or whatever with these two people but but uh yeah there's just it, it, i don't often make those connections uh personally say like think about when i was 16 years old just about to start mxpx listening to screeching weasel boogada 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 on a tape in the truck going to work uh me and my buddy rich we worked together we did these like landscaping jobs we dig ditches we'd go clean up rental houses and clean up the yards so like that was sort of like my teenage kind of punk rock childhood where i was just getting uh, getting a, a, a lesson in in life from from Ben Weasel, from uh, from Joe Queer, uh, I, I would even listen to No Effects back then. Um, Rancid was not quite there. I think Op Ivy was was around. Rancid was just getting going. Um, but as soon as Rancid started, I was a fan. Like I I was a fan of their first album right when it came out. So like I was paying attention for sure. Um, I heard No Use for a Name on a on a like a snowboard video or something like that so yeah, yeah like i discovered a lot of these bands just the same way that any other kid would discover them it was just like literally right when i was getting into punk rock myself so. and getting signed and going out on tour with you know bad religion and yep <laughs> amazing man yeah i i would yeah. i would say anybody who's interested in checking out your podcast for me that ben weasel episode would just be the best place to start because it's a two-hour just epic dissection of so many relevant and, and interesting and, and insightful topics um and you're a natural man you're a total natural at hosting i often think it's like when a, a musician i imagine here's perhaps an actor starting a band right you're like, oh, okay yeah yeah go on <laughs> I, i'm a bit like that because certain musicians i've heard them do podcasts and i'm like eh, okay but yours is amazing you're a total natural and I, i'm i'm a new fan of your show i'd always been aware of it but i don't listen to many podcasts because i'm always busy 
you know doing my own yeah, um but I'm, I'm definitely going to be listening to yours a lot more regularly now you've done 350 odd episodes but there's only up to back to like 250 available are the rest like hidden away on the mxpx website or somewhere else what's the deal that's a good question. That that they should be available in the RSS feed. Um, I think it's just an Apple thing or like the apps only keep a certain amount. So go to mxpeaks.com slash podcast. And there should be a few different options of where you can listen. But uh, the main feed, like where I actually upload it to, um, you should be able to find it there. Amazing. And uh, yeah, the recent record, Quarantine Style, that's out. Is there a new album on the way? You said you just sort of been writing some songs. Is there a new record this year? What's going on? Um, working on new songs all the time. Uh, we have a new song. When's this going to air, by the way? I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know. Maybe May, June. It'll be like okay. ne- near a summertime. It'll be a while. Okay, cool. So we have a new, a new song out called Can't Keep Waiting, the one I was talking about earlier. That's out everywhere. Um, new album, I don't know. I don't know yet. Um, I'm definitely writing songs, but um, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep putting out songs, and then eventually we'll put out an album as well. I'm sure, but Amazing. no actual plans. We're gonna keep uh, doing our between this world and the next shows um, live on the internet. We're gonna start switching it up even more. So each set, of course, is different, but um, we've got some ideas uh, under our under our sleeves. Somewhere up. up our sleeves, up the <laughs> sleeves. somewhere Under in the arms. sleeves. <laughs> and Goldfinger have got some new music coming as well, which sounds very exciting. Um, dude, I've really enjoyed this. I hope you have too. And uh, it was nice all these years later to finally, you know, converse for longer than five minutes in a stairwell backstage somewhere. And uh, mind you, I do, <laughs> I do hope we can do that again soon too. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.